back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we dig in deep to analyze the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. I'm Andy Nelson from thenextreel.com. And I'm Pete Wright, still from The Next Reel. We are looking at John Favreau's 2008 film Iron Man, back where all of this began. And joining us one last time to close out the week, we have the chaplain of the Movies by Minutes community, Father David Mowry. Welcome back, Father. Thank you so much for having me for the entire week. I know it was touch and go a couple times. And In I spite do, of look, Andy's look, best look, effort, I to get up. rid of you. And I apologize about the onion. I admit that's on me. So I, I will clean that up when we're done. But I'm very grateful that you saw fit to have me on for the whole week. So thank, thanks thanks so much for having me. Oh, it was, it's been great. Uh, we are looking, of course, at Iron Man Minute 90, uh, 90 minutes into the movie. On today's show, the minute starts with Tony Lennon. Letting Pepper know his plans with the weapons that have been sold under the table. And it ends with Tony telling Pepper that he finally knows something. <laughs> Another cliffhanger. What does he know? He finally knows uh, who shot JR. That's what it is. Oh, <laughs> that's a deep track right there. That's <laughs> there are some solid. people who out there who will enjoy that. Oh, solid. (laughs) This is a really nice moment with uh, Tony and Pepper. And going back to the conversation that uh, that you that we had a couple days ago about that place that you get in these superhero movies where you have uh, it's it's kind of that blind rage. Right. And and the way that they fix things is violence. And Mm -hmm. we find out here that Tony's plan is to do uh, basically the same drill. He wants to find out where these shipping containers are going and he's going to go blow everything up. He's trying to take responsibility for his actions. It's a way for him of doing penance, basically, for having perpetuated these atrocities. He he has seen the face of the innocent victims of the warmongering when he went to the village and protected uh, all those innocent people. Uh, he realizes not just because it impacted him negatively, not just because the soldiers died because of his weapons, but he's also seen the tragedy of what he's been doing with his life so far. This is a, a heavy moment for Tony. Like, we're it in is. a dark place in Tony's mind with him as he as he he is hitting all of this. And I, I think the the moment for me that says everything is is that is a shot of him when when she when he says there is nothing except this. And I think that really speaks to the place that he's kind of fallen into, right? Where it's just like, this is it. There is nothing else. There's no art opening, there's no benefit, there's nothing to sign, there's no decision to be made. There's the next mission and nothing else. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's that's a really interesting place for our character to be. And I mean, I, I know standard screenplay uh, structure. We get to the, the bottom of the second act and our hero is in kind of their darkest place. And and uh, this is where they're going to be as they enter the third act so that they can kind of turn everything around and and uh, and find the kind of the light by the time they get to the end and, and uh, save everybody for the climax of the film. But it's uh, I don't know. I really love the way that uh, Robert Downey Jr. portrays it here, and it's uh, it's a fascinating uh, 
interesting spin on this character. Especially considering where we started with this character, the breezy, wisecracking, billionaire, yes. uh, arms dealer, you know, schmoozing with the women in the casino, blowing off the award ceremony, uh, palling around with the soldiers, having the drink cart as part of the Jericho missile order. And <laughs> now here, ev- everything has been radically relativized in his life. He has yeah. found a life's purpose. Uh, he has discovered something bigger than himself, and he's going at it in the only way he knows how, which is all out with yes. with no concern for personal safety. I, I like how you say that, that everything's been relativized. I think that's a, a really good way to put it. And it, it applies to his uh, relationship with Pepper, too. Uh, when he looks at her and says, you've stood by me all these years mm-hmm. when I've done this horrible stuff, mm-hmm. and now you're going to walk out when I fix it, when I try to fix it? Uh, you know, what business do you have doing that? You know, you coward. And she turns around and she has to walk this line of of uh, recognizing that he, likely he's doing the right thing. And also she's the maternal figure in this movie. And she has to she's she's got the both the romantic uh, potentially potentiality of, of the romantic relationship, but also the protective relationship of the mother figure. And and she's trying to walk that line, too. I'm not going to be here and watch you. Uh, destroy yourself and and I think it it adds some complexity to that to their relationship here yeah it, Tony makes a good argument here mm-hmm. but at the same by the same token this is qualitatively different what he is doing than what has come before uh right that yeah he he was uh arms dealer he was providing all these weapons and uh, who knows what pepper thought of all of that we only get glimpses into how she feels about Tony, on a personal level, we have no idea how she uh, squares her involvement with an arms company. However, there is this quality of difference that now Tony is has crossed a line here. He's a vigilante. He's taking justice into his own hands. He's putting himself in harm's way intentionally. Whereas before, yeah, she was complicit in, you know, remote cooperation with evil, perhaps, but it's something that can be easily explained away. Likewise, Tony's own self-destructive patterns with gambling and drinking and drugs and women, uh, maybe she was complicit in that, just having a kind of boys will be boys kind of attitude about it. And there's Mm -hmm. an opportunity for Pepper to see Tony in a new light here as well. There's something about the the line that he delivers to her after she says that, uh, the, the line, I shouldn't be alive unless it was for a reason. And I think that it gives a sense of him searching. And I think that's what helps here is that idea that, you know, Pepper Pepper is wants to, um, she has that maternal, potentially romantic attraction to him that is trying to protect him from destroying himself. Because it is, I mean, it is a huge difference from, yes, just, I mean, quote, just selling weapons and and you know, being an irresponsible uh, idiot. But this whole idea <laughs> that that now he is, he's trying to, he he's figuring himself out. And I think mm-hmm. it's an interesting spin that he has to try to win her back over because I think she makes a very valid point. Like, you know, I don't want to see you die. And, and he's like, I shouldn't be alive unless it was for a reason. And, and this is the thing I think anyone who kind of goes through that moment. So I hear uh, where you, you come close to death and you, you find your way past it. It's that moment where you're like, I, 
you know, you kind of look at everything in a different perspective. And I think Tony has very much been doing that ever since he got back from Afghanistan. We saw that in the press conference. We've mm-hmm. seen that in, in the reactions that he's had to all these different things. It's it's he's become a changed man. And now um this it's it's interesting because we didn't have that dream sequence with Yinsen before where where Yinsen was asking him questions like, What are you doing? Um, but I feel like this is enough of that search. Like, I don't need the dream sequence. I have this line. We're hearing him yes. uh, ex- tell us, you know, I, I don't know, but there's a reason that I'm here. And I feel like this is that direction and I have to go down this path. Yeah. And, and Pepper is having the reaction to, you know, that people will have to folks who go through a, a conversion experience like this. Well, all right. So you're you're into Jesus now, huh? Like, well, I don't know if I can go down that road with you because you know people have this this zeal when they have this conversion experience because they're engaging with something that explains something that didn't make sense to them before. They're given a purpose. They're given a vision, a way of organizing their life that has it make sense and come together in a new way, and that fills you with a certain kind of energy, a purpose. Go out in the rah, go out and get them, and that's intimidating to other people who haven't had the same experience. Pepper wasn't in the cave with Tony. Yes, she right. she was concerned about him. She grieved for his uh, you know, supposed death, but she didn't have that life or death experience, so she doesn't understand it from the inside. And Tony is not going to let her in, not in this movie, not yet anyway. And so she remains still trying to figure out how to connect with Tony, how to reach this. And she's ready just to walk away because it's too much for her to deal with. Yeah. And you mentioned the other day uh, that, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow as Pepper Potts is like the the best of these kind of supporting characters Mm -hmm. in in the franchise. I think it comes through in spades in this conversation. Absolutely. It's it's just so, you know, you can your your heart is breaking with her. You're angry with her. Everything that Gwyneth Paltrow is delivering here is just spot on perfect. It is. And and how do we feel, uh, you know, in, in this scene for me, she's the audience sur- surrogate. You know, I get I I'm a- attracted to her kind of emotional line here. How do we feel about Tony? Right. I mean, at, at for for whom is Tony the the audience surrogate? Right. He's doing these kinds of of crazy uh, things but he's you know what we get from her is such an emotional um wall that that he didn't expect likely and um we sort of want him to to stop and question his actions and we also need him not to and i i find that a really interesting paradox yeah we see tony trying to figure out uh, like like Andy, you're saying he's figuring himself out. He's he's figuring out how yeah. he's going to do this thing for it because he know knows what he's capable of, that what this suit is capable of doing. He has it within his power to do the right thing, to enact justice according to the way that he thinks it ought to be done. And for us as an audience, where we connect with Tony is seeing him grapple with who he used to be and who he wants to be now grappling with this part of himself that he needs to change that he is doing penance for. Uh, we've all had those moments where we realized, oh, you know, I screwed up. 
big time. I, I said the wrong thing. I did the wrong thing. And now I need to make things right. Since it's a superhero movie, this kind of conflict is writ large. It's it's written in, in terms of the international arms trade, but it still reflects that emotional line that we go through of trying to set things right and trying to be a better person than we were before. It's it's a hard line, and it's interesting because it's not a line Tony's ever had to deal with. Oh, you know, he is, he is way right. out of his depth here. <laughs> he really is, and it's been a really and, and I can see why. And again, we've talked about it before, but it would have been great to really see them use this as something to develop that alcoholism line mm. in this franchise somewhere. I can see why probably they didn't want to go down that dark road, but it. I mean, it would have been great to kind of really see that element brought in because it works, it pairs so nicely with all of these struggles that he's having here. But to that end, your point about being addicted to technology, I think that also plays in here where he is still, you know, kind of locked in this in this sphere of electronics and just is is keeping himself here and focusing on it and not thinking about anything else and not yeah. letting anyone in. And uh, and using it as his place to try to figure out who he is, you know, as he says, he's not crazy. Uh, he's he's trying to figure it out. And it's it's kind of sad to see him in this place. But at the same time, we as the audience know it's a good thing for him to be there because he needs to figure out who he is because it's going to lead to better things. Someone needs to beat Stain up. Who's going to beat Stain up if, if Tony doesn't <laughs> do the thing? That's right. If not him, then who? If not now, then when? <laughs> so say we all. So say we all. <laughs> uh, let's see the uh, the script. It's a you know the conversation here. I, I I don't know how much improv they did to try to get this conversation to where it is, but it works so much nicer than it was in the script, as is so often the case. The script. It's just very direct. Pepper, you know, when she comes in and sees him here, she's just like, what are you doing? Absolutely not. You should be in bed. And it's all, you know, he keeps trying to tell her to go do stuff. And it's all absolutely not. I'm not helping you with anything if you're ever going to start this again. And it's just very direct. And it's it's not emotional. And that's very finger waggy school. It It really is. They take the heart out of it. And I appreciate that with Gwyneth and whoever it was on set that when they came up with these lines, it's just so much stronger the way that we Mm -hmm. ended up with. And we have good, solid acting in this minute. Yeah, this is this is this is the sort of scene that I think people often dismiss in these films when they talk about these superhero movies. But I find that as we've been going through this, there have been a number of really strong scenes between usually between Robert Downey Jr. and Gwyneth Paltrow as they play these two characters that give it the heart, give it the emotional core that allow for this to be a lot more than just kind of a straight up superhero movie. It's an appreciation for for the characters. I think it's why the Marvel movies have succeeded so well. Yes, you have the whiz-bang action, but there's also an appreciation for the characters that are in the story. And I think while you have the technical spectacle of the the fight scenes and the actions, I think the writers of these movies understand the action is a metaphor for the character's internal development. Tony's fight against the arms trade and then ultimately against Stain is a fight against 
who he was, that he was a participant in this uh, global military industrial complex. And he's now fighting to take back those skills that he put at the service of that complex, uh, now taking those technical and engineering skills and crafting a weapon supposedly for peace and for protection and for justice. And fighting against who he used to be. That's why so often in Marvel movies, the villain is a dark reflection of the hero because the action is all about the hero coming to terms with who he or she is. Right, right. Yeah, it's that whole, you know, uh, the line that is so often said in in films because it works so well in pairing your protagonist and your antagonist. We're two sides of the coin, you and I. It's that whole thing. I feel like we could be doing this forever. Right. <laughs> uh, one of the things that's so nice about this uh, about the sequence in Tony's performance, again, specifically what we what we get in him slowing down a little bit, is that he he stops and gives us a nice solid glimpse of super ego, right? Of of mm. that that he does have this this piece of him where he's able to stop and reflect, where ego and id get out of the way. And, and he's able to reflect on on his existence in space and how hard it is for him and how Robert Downey Jr. portrays the grief that exists in Tony at that reflection. And I think that's it's really special. And, and to, you know, to pile on something you guys have both said, uh, you know, you could take these performances and put them in any room in the house outside of the lab. And they would still be great performances, right? You don't need the superhero stuff, the trappings of technology to make these terrific performances. As we saw at the, at the fundraiser. Yeah, the fundraiser, right. But I think having it here makes for a nice metaphorical level. This is Tony with his armor off. Emotionally right. speaking, he is he's vulnerable in this moment. He's revealing what's been churning through his heart and mind ever since he escaped from the cave. And so he's sharing this vulnerability with the one person that he can trust in his life. And it's Pepper. And so you know, to emphasize that we have the armor sitting empty and lifeless with its you know arms down and the head sagging to emphasize that this is Tony. He's being raw and real. Yeah. Yeah, although to your, I, I think it was your own point, right? His lab is still just a, a sort of a blowout of his armor, right? Right. He's I, it's still not protected perfect. in the ring. Yeah, we're not we're uh, not all the way there yeah. yet with Tony, but you know, baby steps, baby steps. Get baby get him out steps. of the armor, okay? So you're still in the safe space of the lab. That's fine. Let's just baby have a little steps chat to the door. Baby steps to the elevator. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, well, let's do the uh, let's do the uh, Christ in the Cape uh, segment. Well, if you insist, twist my arm. All right. So uh, for our last segment of Christ and the Cape, I have to admit, I am so thrilled to have received this pack of minutes because this is the part of the movie that gets the closest to being explicitly spiritual, where Tony is doing this very intense introspection. And I want to talk about the idea of vocation. So in in especially in Christian religious understanding, a vocation is a calling from God, a, a mission that one uh, receives as as something that gives one's life purpose. So in the Christian understanding, we speak of the priesthood as a vocation. This isn't just a job that I applied for. It's something that I feel called to do with my life. Likewise, marriage in the Christian understanding is a vocation, something that one spends one life in, engaged with. 
here we have a, a, a sort of lesser order of vocation, but still nonetheless a call that Tony feels. He's had this very powerful experience in his life. He senses that his life is no longer his. He died and came back to life. He shouldn't be alive. And so he feels caught up in something bigger than himself. And it, it, it comes out in his language. There's nothing except this. Uh, I shouldn't be alive. He's had a conversion experience. He's been brought face to face with the effects of his participation in the cycle of violence. And now he means to make an ends with all the fervor of a new convert. And so he contemplates that uh, his previous way of living is no longer sufficient. As I said before, all the other trappings of his pl billionaire playboy lifestyle, the art showings, the gallery openings, the food tastings, the parties, all that's been relativized. And now this mission is, is consuming him. Now, in a Christian understanding, we would raise some red flags here and say, OK, yeah, this is good as far as it goes. But now Tony's kind of going off the deep end because you add to this element of vocation and mission and trying to serve something bigger than oneself. OK, thumbs up. All good. But then you add Tony's obsessive personality and uh, Pete, as you mentioned, his addictive tendencies. And now we've got some trouble. Now we've got a dangerous mix. <laughs> this this is how you get a fanatic. This is how you get a zealot, someone who doesn't listen to reason and. And that's one of the reasons why in, in the Christian tradition, we have years of training for ministers. We don't let the young bucks who feel like, oh, I've got a call from God. I'm going to go out there and change the world. And the church says, whoa, OK, there, young man, slow down. Let's let's talk about what this is going to look like and how you're going to do this so you don't do more harm than good. And, and this is where the. Uh, the superhero mythos promotes an individualism. You know, Tony is in need of a community around him. And he has it in Pepper, thank goodness, because without Pepper, who knows where he'd end up? And he'd end up right, dead yeah. within the next year or so because he doesn't have anyone to ground him. That vocation needs to have um, a community surrounding it to support it, to give it shape and to give it context. Otherwise, it becomes another exercise in egoism. It becomes something about me and what I am capable of doing. So we see that in Tony's choices here. Uh, He's still an egomaniac. <laughs> He's not content yeah. to try starting a new company, you know, maybe focused on green energy, you know, buying the arc reactor off of Stark Industries, because I'm sure Tony has enough money that if he wanted to do that, he probably could. It, it might bankrupt him, but then he would have that technology to have the patent to be able to start from there and you know, work on a small scale, maybe without the resources of Stark Industries. But no, he doesn't do that. He's he's going for the big flashy red and hot rod gold uh Sued to going out and blowing up tanks and and being the hero and and being the center of attention, so we have this seed of a vocation where Tony begins to realize that his life is not about him, and that's a, a crucial understanding in the spiritual life in any tradition that you come to understand my life is not about me, and indeed fullness of life and, and a human life well lived consists of service of giving myself over to others. That's of course exemplified uh, in the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Christ lives not for himself but for us, and not because we deserved it, but precisely because we didn't. In the superhero, we see that same selflessness, but 
you know, it's marred in Tony's case by his remaining hangups and personal character issues that are going to take a couple movies to resolve. I think that that's actually a really interesting point. The whole idea of Tony figuring out his his career path, I guess we can call it, yeah. uh, you know, as, as he as he switches badges from uh, weapons manufacturer to superhero. And what is he going to start doing now? And how is he going to deliver that message? And what is uh, yeah, uh, what is it going to do to his internal thinking? And how is he going to find that level to control it? And I always think back to uh, Watchmen with with moments like this and, you know, who watches the Watchmen, that whole mentality with these superheroes. And I do like that that is something that even he starts thinking about as we kind of progress through this franchise and and see how uh, how things are affecting him and the mm-hmm. way that he's seeing things and, and realizing that we do need to have some sort of policing. And it's interesting to see yeah. uh, because I certainly don't feel like at this point I don't think he's feeling that way. No, no. But what's interesting is that this is the seed that makes Civil War earned, right? This right. is the seed. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. And and I I that is a, a grand lesson learned from this from looking at this movie in this format. I've never stopped and and reflected uh, at at exactly how smart uh, the overall kind of narrative arc mm-hmm. is to get us from here to there and what reverence they treat this, the seeds in this movie, you know, 10 years later. Yeah, absolutely. To your point that uh, Tony is just going out there as a cowboy and just acting as a vigilante to work justice. Uh, I can't tell you uh, how American this movie seemed to me the first time I watched it. Because when Mm -hmm. I saw it in 2008, I was spending a semester studying in Rome. And uh, I was feeling a little homesick. And then lo and behold, this Iron Man movie comes out and all the other uh, kids from college that I was over there with say, well, let's let's go see an American movie. Let me cheer you up. It's like, okay, sure, fine. So we went to the the Cinema Metropolitan on the Via del Corso in Rome. That theater, unfortunately, has closed since I've been there. But the Americanness of this movie just leaps off the screen at you when you're watching it in a foreign country. <laughs> All the flags and the military hardware, and you've got this modern-day cowboy yeah. who's just kind of going off and pew-pew-pew, firing from the hip and just doing what he does best. And the the Americanness and the commentary on American foreign policy that this movie makes <laughs> right. really hits you when you're living in a foreign country. Oh, uh, yeah. Interesting perspective. I'm yeah. Sure. Uh, the other thing that really threw me right about the the seventy five minute mark is we're getting a flyby of Tony's Malibu house. All of a sudden, the the movie just stopped because it was intermission. It was time for everyone to go outside and have a smoke break. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so all all of us Americans are sitting there going, "Oh, is there something wrong with the projector?" And meanwhile, all the Italians are getting up. They're pulling out their Everybody's cigarettes. Getting up and leaving. <laughs> outside have a smoke. Oh, I guess it's it's intermission. I guess that's a thing. Okay, sure. Oh, how funny. They just oh. shut the projector off. Yeah, and... They just they just stopped the movie. <laughs> oh, awkward. I would hate that. I couldn't handle that. No, no. Oh, man. It's yeah, it's uh, it's interesting looking at it from those other perspectives. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we've got some listeners from around the world. And so it is always interesting to hear uh, how it how it's viewed from there. And you're right. This is such an American movie, that whole idea of the militarism and just mm-hmm. everything, especially when you get to War Machine. Oh, God, just, War Machine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that, the one that the outfit that's all like the American flag version. Ooh. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
that that's that's it right there. Good old America. Which goes back to Iron Man's comic book roots. He was a communist right, fighter before right. he was a crime fighter. Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. Well, you mentioned uh, that you saw Iron Man uh, over there in in Rome. Um, mm-hmm. What was the was that the first time that you kind of delved into Iron Man and the lore? Had you been reading the comics before that? I was not a comic book reader when I was growing up. Um, I have vague memories of a cartoon version of Iron Man. Oh, and yeah, I, yeah. I have a vague memory of a scene of Iron Man fighting the Mandarin. Uh, oh, okay. and, and something involving you know rings on the fingers. So I had enough kind of just in the little corners of my mind where I had enough familiar to the character. Like, oh, yeah, Iron Man, he wears a suit, flies around, fights bad guys. Okay, I got it. That was all the all the contact I had with it. If it weren't for the fact that the I was in Rome at the time and missing the United States of America, I don't know if I would have gone to see this movie. Because I was, I was a little, you know, I was kind of off superheroes at the moment. Spider-Man 3 had come out and kind of broken my heart a little bit. And I just, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe this whole superhero Emo. thing isn't working out. And no, I don't think so. Maybe I'll just kind of take a break. <laughs> and uh, this was a, a breath of fresh air. Like, oh, hey, this is great. Uh, I I really like this movie and uh, was blown away by the little reveal at the end of the film, which I won't give away here because that's coming up in a later minute. But wow, just made me realize, oh, these people are playing for keeps. This this is going to be a whole thing. Oh, interesting, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How would you? Uh, it's it's a lot of films, but how would you rank them? Do you have uh, Do you have oh some favorites gosh. in the franchise? Um, well, I'm not going to rank all of them. I think no. Yeah, don't 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 <laughs> feel obligated to do all twenty. No, I t- <laughs> twenty movies. God bless you, man. You are going to be you're going to be going out of your mind. Your grandchildren are going to have to continue the Marvel Movie Minute podcast. Right? Um, we can only hope it'll be it'll be in my will. Um, <laughs> you must finish my life's work. There is nothing except this. Um, oh, uh, it's, a, no. it's, it's oh, my wow. it's my own Iron Man suit. <laughs> uh, so, uh, I, in terms of my favorite movies. Um, I would say uh, probably my favorite Marvel movie is The Winter Soldier. Uh, it's just a really great stuff. film, top to bottom. Uh, close second with Civil War. Uh, it's the greatest Spider-Man movie ever made. Uh, and then <laughs> then uh, the number three on my top three would be the original Avengers. It just, oh, okay. it just okay. hums along. It's just a very nicely put together fireworks display of a movie where they, I Marvel deserve, like, it, they paid off the, all the work they put into the movies to, to come before and they gave themselves a victory lap and you know what? It worked. Uh, but Captain America sure. by far is my, my favorite, uh, my favorite hero in the Marvel cinematic universe. He's a good one that I've grown to appreciate. I, I really struggled with him initially, but I've. I've grown to enjoy him more um, with uh, my most recent rewatch of the of the franchise. I don't know why I had such issues with him, but uh, I, nobody I, knows why you I had such know. issues with him. I don't know. It's okay, Andy. But, uh, we're here for you. <laughs> we're here when I need you. Yeah, we accept you as a friend, even if you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. I'm glad for that. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, Father David, thanks again so much for uh, for being here all week with us and closing it out. And uh, there's a lot of great conversations this week. 
Oh, you're a hero, man. Thank you. Oh, this has been my pleasure. Uh, really appreciate the opportunity to talk about these things. Uh, as I mentioned uh, in in one of our breaks in between episodes, I, I just think it's great to take the time with these movies and break them down one minute at a time that even with something that on the surface appears like just a popcorn blockbuster movie, there is still the opportunity to deal with serious issues and and things even of theological significance because the study of film is a study of story and narrative and narrative is always about what it means to be human, to understand our own place and to understand how we make sense of the world around us. And that's exactly what religion does. It tells a particular story about how the world works and the way things operate. And what I hope the conversations we've had this week have shown is that there are these different themes that make their way over from philosophy and theology and show up with someone like Tony Stark, who, yes, even he can be somehow an image of Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) However tenuously that might work out. Right. Right. (laughs) But thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been a pleasure to be with you this week. Uh, we had a great time. Just uh, fantastic conversations. Uh, you want to remind everyone one last time where they can find you on the inter- internet? Uh, one last time to find me on the interwebs. I am uh, normally lurking on a couple movies by minutes uh, Facebook groups. Uh, the Star Wars Minute Listener Society is my main haunt, but in a couple other places I might pop up. I'm on Twitter at Father Mowry. That's F-R-M-O-W-R-Y. And uh, you can find uh, links to all the other movies by minutes podcasts I've been on at my website, fatherdavidmowry.com. That's uh, father all spelled out, F-A-T-H-E-R, davidmowry.com. Perfect. Well, uh, Pete, it's been a pleasure chatting with you this week. We'll be back on As Monday. Always. Yeah, I can't wait. This <laughs> is a great week. This is a, like a major highlight week for me. David Mowry, we're going to pretend he's already gone. That that Father David Mowry, he's, he's, a, he's a home run hitter. <laughs> he's, he, he's good peoples. I'm not, I'm not afraid to say it. Oh, shucks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, he's, he's still, still here. here. <laughs> Quite as a church mouse I am. <laughs> uh, that's right. Well, everybody, that is it for today's show. Thanks again so much for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to the show for free at marvelmovieminute.com. Join us over in our Discord chat room and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Next Reel. And if you like what we do and you want to support us and get some cool stuff, become a patron over at thenextreel.com slash Patreon. Until next time, true believers. Yeah.